All right, good morning, everybody. So glad you're here. Uh, in case we have not met, uh, my name is Rick. I am a sinner saved by grace. Okay, y'all did kind of good, but we're going to practice on that. So for those that are online, that are down in the sanctuary, that are at Tree Worth, here's what we're doing here. So we're going to practice this. Uh, we're trying to create an atmosphere around here where it's just a natural thing where people feel welcome. And if you're new, whether you're in the house or you're online or at Tree Worth, I want you to know, essentially, you're, you're welcome here. And we're trying to reorient our lives around a way where we can deal with our stuff. Uh, all, all of us here have stuff. We got baggage. We got stuff that we can't get past. And we keep dealing with it over and over. And we're making a commitment here that there's some stuff we want to get past and stop doing the same stuff over and over and over again. But to do that, we all have to be kind of open and transparent and vulnerable. We got to be willing to move past denial and admit some stuff. So for me to feel comfortable in doing that, you have to help me, and you got to help the people around you. And you do that by those two little words, that when you speak to someone, you say hi in their name, with infused with joy, infused with gladness that you've seen, that, that they're here, with this unconditional caring and acceptance, so they feel very comfortable being in God's church and just dealing with their stuff, okay? So let's try that again. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Rick. I am a sinner saved by grace. So much better. So much better. So much better. And to all of you, hi to you. And uh, we're so glad that you're here. God, we, we come here to be in your presence, even as we're together. Uh, we come to sing songs, God. Uh, we come to be encouraged and to be lifted up. But we also come to learn, God. We come to grow. Uh, we want to be like Jesus. We want our marriages to be an example of Jesus. Uh, in our single life, God, we want it to reflect the heart of who Jesus gets. As, as parents, the emails that we sent how we manage conflict and disagreement in the world, how we navigate even our own lives through this, this political season and COVID-19 and everything going on in the world, God. We, we want to reflect Jesus. So we pray, God, that in this time together here, you will kind of do what only you can do to kind of begin to move and make that happen a little bit more, to transform us by the renewing of our minds. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now, as I mentioned a while ago, we're in a message series we're calling Growing Together. And the whole concept and the idea is that we would learn some steps that we're going to practice during the week, to re that we're going to rearrange our life around these steps, knowing that if I do that, I'm going to be more connected to Jesus and experience the power that I need to do what I cannot do on my own, that I keep failing over and over and over and over and over and over again. And last week was step one, and it is foundational, and that's why I brought it back up again in your message notes again this morning, because I want to say it again. I want you to say it with me again after I say it, is that I will fully surrender my will and my life to God. Please say that with me. I will fully surrender my will and my life to God. That is the foundational point where you realize that you are powerless to make certain changes in your life, that you don't have the power on your own to do it, and you will keep making the same mistake, the same issue over and over and over again. 
And so I surrender my will to God on that particular issue. And it's not something I just do once. It's something I have to do in some sense. I went probably every day, sometimes a little more multiple times a day. I surrender. That is step one. And the prayer is, uh, I can't, God can. What's the next part? I think I'll let him. Now, I mentioned to you last weekend that if you're going to get anything out of this Growing Together series, not only are you going to have to make a commitment to be a part of every message every weekend, uh, you got to make a commitment to do stuff in the middle of the week. It's not just what happens here. you got to have a buy-in in the middle of the week. That's why these little spiritual Fitbits right here. So you can look at it to remind yourself, hey, okay, this is the week. And when, when you forget, we're going to shock you. We're going to send 5,000 jolts to your home, and it's going to boom. It's going to just to remind you, okay? Uh, but, but I want you to wear this to remind yourself, particularly about doing your life steps. Now, if you're new here, it's been a practice around here for a long time that we produce life steps. It's a scripture with questions for you to read every day to kind of reconnect you with what we're learning, to reapply, to reapply, to reapply. And some of you just kind of got so used to that, you stopped doing it. I know you have. So we have redone the life steps. We kind of redone them for this series. We're a short little morning and short little evening. And I want to emphasize the doing of both. You just don't get in the habit of just doing the morning or just doing the evening. It's the both, and it won't take long, but you'd be amazed if you do that work in that time with God, how connected you're going to be and, and the change that can happen. But it's like, a, it's like a drippy faucet. It's the drip every day, the drip every day, the drip every day, the drip every day. It's the continuity that's going to fill you up, okay? So I want to, I want to ask you to do that. So week one was, uh, was give up. Uh, this week it is think of. We're in the step two. God wants to change the flow of all the thoughts, of all the desires, of all the expectations, of all the perceptions, of all the things that are going through this head of yours up here. Your mind. There is just a continual, unending flow of stuff going on in your mind. And we take it for granted. I, I am fascinated by the mind. We spent a whole six weeks in a series this summer called Mindset. And I'm fascinated how you and I are just oblivious to the mind and how we just abuse it and don't use it adequately. We just don't. Uh, if you have a race car and you have this high-performance engine, I know you're not going to put in low-octane, real cheap-grade fuel into it. I know you won't. We got a guy at our gym who's a, who's a, who's a uh, what do you call it? He's a sculptor. He's a, he competes in bodybuilding. That'd be a better way of putting it. And I know, because we have had conversations with him, he measures every little bit of food, what he eats. He records it. He's very careful, very diligent in everything that goes into his body. He even wakes up in the middle of the night to ingest protein at the right time that his body will absorb it to the fullest to get the maximum benefit. What he doesn't know, which he's about to, is that when his wife gets mad at him, and that happens, when she's fixing his lunch for him to take with him in the morning, when she's mad at him, she replaces the low-fat spread on his sandwich with the highest fat possible. <laughs> and he's sucking it in. He doesn't even know. 
Sorry. <laughs> I, I read this past week that if you have a cat, God bless you, I pray for you, is that, is that every cat needs 30 different sort of nutrients to, to really be a healthy cat. And that there's, there's several kind of antioxidants you can buy for your dog, your aging dog, if your dog's having a problem with its brain. And I read that, that we, as you, in the United States of America, uh, we spend $30 billion on carefully selected pet food. Not ordinary pet food, but just the carefully selected pet food. Now, I think it's amazing. We go through times in our life, we're extremely careful what we put into our cars, into our bodies, and into our pets. And we're extremely careless with what goes into our minds. We let any old junk that comes along into our heads. Any little thing we come upon on social media, any little baiting headline that catches our eye and we go follow it to trail the trail, just click, 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 click. We just allow all this non-edifying material from TVs and movies and magazines. We get caught up in conversations about junk, about stuff that's degrading and demeaning and humiliating and embarrassing and rumors and not true and betrayal about all these. And it all goes into our minds. Junk. And yet, the quality of your life is largely determined the kind of mind you have, the kind of person you are, is determined by what's going on up here in your mind. And the amazing thing about it, you get to choose. Nobody, nobody but you gets to choose what goes in and what stays in. Dallas and I have three sons. Our youngest was the easiest of the three, and yet he was the hardest to discipline. Uh, don't you ever hate it when you're trying to discipline one of your kids and they just kind of smile? You know what I'm talking about? And James, our youngest, uh, when he was four or five, he would do something kind of didn't happen very often where we'd have to discipline and we'd put him in the timeout chair in the corner. And so often, we put him in the timeout chair, and he'd be just smiling. And that just irritated the dog out of me. I wanted him to pay the prime and everything like that. And I'd say, what are you thinking about? Cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> you can put his little old bohunkus in the timeout chair, but not his brain. Because you can choose what goes in to this head of yours. Viktor Frankl, a brilliant thinker, a psychiatrist, a survivor of the Holocaust, and a writer who wrote in Man's Search for Meeting, this quote right here, the ultimate freedom in human life is the freedom of the mind. Your ability to think, you'll be able to create thoughts. Your ability to set your mind in any situation on what you want to think, on what you need, and what you desire is an incredible gift. It's God's gift to you. I would say the art of having this wonderful life 
is the art of being able to manage the conscious stream of thoughts that are always going through this head of yours. In your mind, there are these ongoing ideas and images and emotions and desires and feelings and expectations, all these things. And your ability to direct that in the right way will determine what kind of life that you live. You can have a mindset that is elevated by the presence of God, by the goodness of God, by the mercy of God, by the love of God, by the whole of who God is, or you can have a mindset that is weighted down by worry, chronic discontent, ego, anger, frustration, oh no, oh no, oh no, and you get to choose. Which is the one you want. You cannot have a great life without having a great mind. The kind of life you have is going to be largely determined by the kind of mind you have. And I'm not talking about IQ. I'm not talking about your intelligence ability. I'm talking about having a peace-filled mind. I'm talking about having a surrendered mind. It takes great thoughts to have a great mind. And the greatest source of great thought is from this book. The greatest thoughts ever been recorded. We're going to read from it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning here at verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are available to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that, I've got that circle in my Bible, so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, here is step number two. I will read the Bible. Say that with me. I will read the Bible. If you are discouraged, if you are worried, if you are curious, if you're concerned about who God might be, if you are lonely, if you need direction, if you need wisdom, if you need guidance, if you need help, if you want to put something into your mind other than junk, what are you going to do? I'm going to what? Read the Bible. And somebody asks you, okay, what was the message about this morning? What are you going to say? I will what? Read the Bible. I promise you this this morning. It may not be a very good message by the time you leave here, but you will know the point of the message. I will read the Bible. And you're asking why, pray tell. Why would I want to read a book... That's 2,000 years old, 
that originated in these crazy languages called Hebrew and Greek, been translated many different times into different kind of languages and understandings, talks about concepts that are foreign to our day and time and culture. They didn't have the internet back then. How could they even have the Bible? Why would I want to read such a thing? A few reasons. Number one is, uh, when you die, uh, you may go to heaven. And you go to heaven, one of the people who wrote this book may come up to you and say, hey, listen, did you read my book? And you'll have to go, uh, well, no, Mr. Malachi, I didn't. Uh, but it was just because it was in a bad place. I never stumbled across it. I guess it's pretty good, but no. But you know the reason I really think the number one reason why I want you to read the Bible? Because God breathed it into existence. God breathed it into a life. And amazing, think about this. He did it without compromising the culture or the humanity of each of the author of those 66 books to inspire you and me to read it, to learn about our story, and to learn about who God is and God's character. It's amazing. Why? Why, why would I want to read this book? Why should you and I open this thing as, as often as we can? Because this book generates life. This book creates faith. This book inspires people to greater heights. It makes the foolish wise. It makes the weak strong. This is the first book you want to read to a child when they're born. It's the last book you want to read to someone when they're dying. This book is so simple, and yet it's so deep. The early church father said that this, this book is incredible, so much so that a gnat could swim in it, but an elephant could drown in it. This book corrects the erring. Uh, this book inspires the daring. This book lifts up the despairing. This book humbles the overbearing. When you read this book, it worries the devil. And it honors God. And if you are someone who is lonely, this book will remind you there is love in this life and there's heaven in the next. And I promise you this, I promise you, there is no book, there is no greater book that will speak to you on your deathbed when you were dying and you were drawing to your last breath. There will be no book you want to hear read or spoken more than this book right here. And this book doesn't tell us how the world was created. It tells us by who. And what for? You see, in this book, you discover your family. In this book, you discover your identity. In this book, you discover the enemy. In this book, you discover the calamity of your sin. In this book, you discover the royal pedigree of your identity as a child of God. In this book, you discover your eternal destiny as a citizen of heaven. And in this book, you'll meet Jesus. 
Someone who mastered life. Someone who defeated death. You'll learn about his teaching, his brilliant, incredible teaching. No one taught like Jesus. No one. The power to do miracles, you'll read about that. It, that totally changed families' life and legacies forever. And in this book, no other place, in this book, there are eyewitness accounts. Eyewitnesses saw he died upon the cross. Eyewitnesses saw he walked out of the tomb. And there's no other book where you can find that written down as people. I saw it with my own two eyes. Is there any wonder why people like William Tyndale and John Rogers and countless others did everything they could to have this book printed in languages and seen all around the world so everybody would have access to it? So many lived in poverty. They were persecuted. They were beaten. They were jailed to make this book available to everyone in the world. And to this day, about 95% of the world's population has this book in a language they can understand, and there's no other book in the world that's been made available like this book. And I just wonder, how many of us here in this room uh, really read it? Online, True Worth, Sanctuary, how many of you really read it? Well, here's what the research says. We're going to put this on the screen here. Here's what the research says. 94% of Americans, they own a Bible. Most of you have multiple copies. 90% believe it applies today. 86% believe it's holy. Less than 30% read it weekly outside of church, if they even read it there. Biblical literacy, all-time low. And 30% who responded to this survey believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. <laughs> Be careful. This morning, I'm going to be practical, 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 practical. I told you I was going to work to be as practical as I can. And I know all of you are in different places on this issue. Some are way down the road. Some are just starting. So I hope there's something for everybody. I'm going to give you a little an acronym. Some of you heard this acronym before. I don't know where it originated. It's been around for a while. It's called SOAP, S-O-A-P. Over in Ephesians 5.26, when it's talking about a husband loving his wife, it talks about cleansing her as through the word. That your life, when it's filtered through this word, this book, it's like being washed. It's like your mind is washed. It's like your heart is washed. It's like your marriage is washed. It's like your, your whole life is just cleansed by this thing called the Bible. Soap. So I'm going to give you four letters and four words, and we're going to kind of fill it out here a little bit. And I'm going to work as fast as I can because I, I want a lot to teach you. Here's a little S. A little S is for the word scripture. Scripture. So my first ask under this thing of scripture is that you make a commitment. Some of you have been here for a while. You know this. That you make a commitment of 15 minutes a day. Every day. Daily. Every single day. 15 minutes. If you can't do 15, do 10. If you can't do 10, do 5. If you can't do 5, do 1. But every single day. Every single day. Being this book. Every single day. Without miss. That's the challenge. 
now. It's interesting the excuses that people have for not reading the Bible. Can you, th- can you tell me what you think is the number one excuse for not reading the Bible? What is it? Don't have time. That's the, that, that four times greater than any other excuse. The excuse, I, I just don't have the time. So let's think about that. The average American spends six hours a day watching a screen. And it's growing daily. Still, the number one screen watched is the TV, even more than the phone, still. All the research. But, but it's changing. And it's going up every day because you and I can't get enough of it. And all everybody out there knows it. So everybody's going on the screen. Video, video, video. Screen, screen, screen. Putting all that stuff out there. And here's what all the research shows. That the more screen time you have, the weaker your ability to think gets. That's kind of scary during COVID-19 when you think about our kids. You know, they're just sitting there seeing a lot of videos, right? It's kind of scary. Because the more just watching, 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 receiving, 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 your mind loses its ability to develop thought, to think, to create, to wonder, to discern and decide. And you just kind of take it in, 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 and you don't think. We are binge watchers. destroying this thing called the mind in many ways, the way we do it, for what purposes that we do it. Jesus was a binge reader. He knew the Torah. Jesus knew the, the, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. He began his ministry 40 days in the wilderness, and every time he was tempted by the devil, he responded by the quoting the Scripture. When he was on the cross, He quoted scripture as he was dying. Every part of Jesus' life. You know about this guy named Jesus? As a human being, everything he did as a human being, every relationship, everything that he did was filtered through his experience of what he knew about God that God revealed to him in the Word. He was a binge reader of the Word. You can find the time. Remember one thing that we're doing here? We're getting out of denial. We're being transparent, vulnerable, and honest. No rationalization, no lame excuses that I don't have time. We do what's important. I'm asking, I'm challenging. I'm longing. I love you. Be in the Word. 15 minutes. Second thing I would say underneath here is that you do it first thing in the morning. That's my suggestion. That's my suggestion. That's just my coaching. I'm coaching. You're my suggestion. I believe before you walk out the door is the best time to do it, but let's don't be legalistic. It doesn't have to be in the morning. I believe in the morning, first thing, in a chair with your favorite Morning beverage, 15 to 20 minutes, you're ready for the day. That's my belief. But I know that's not practical and real for everybody. So here's what. If you can't do it in the morning, do it at lunch. Do it after work. Do it on the weekends. Hey, if you don't like to read, listen to it while you're getting dressed and putting your makeup on. Listen to it while you're driving to work. Listen to it while you're working out. Listen to it while you're walking. Listen, 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 listen. 
Find somebody to read it with. If you can't read it by yourself, find someone that will talk to you. You can read it out loud together. Hey, you can read it on your phone. Read it while you're standing in line at the grocery store to check out. Read it while you're sitting at curbside, waiting for them to come deliver your groceries. You can read it. Hey, read it while you're waiting for the server to bring you a cup of coffee. Maybe you'll be nicer to your server. But just any time. Find the time. Make it a priority in your life. Find a Bible that you like. Get a Bible that you like. It doesn't have to be what your neighbor has, what your spouse has, what, what I have. I read out of the NIV. It works for me. Uh, sometimes I study and read out of the ESV. That's a great one, too. There's many different translations. you got to figure out but however God can work and speak to you, what, your language, how you think, whatever. There are some bad ones out there. Okay, but you can do the research on that. But had a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, whether you're online or you're in the house, if you're in the house, here's my, here's my take. If you don't have a Bible, when you walk out these doors, you grab one off this shelf right here. You can do the same thing in the sanctuary. We had them right outside there. Three words, same thing. And you take it with you. Rip off a Bible from the church. And you're thinking, well, one of those safety team guys with a thing in their ears that follow you around all the time, won't they come up and kid me? I can what are you doing with that Bible? They probably will, but have a little guts and do it anyway. And then just beat them over the head with it and say, Pastor Rick told me to have this, you blah, 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 blah. And it'll be okay, okay? <laughs> Take it. And if you're online and you don't have one, let us know. You can't have access, we'll send you one. We'll pay, we'll pay for the postage. I don't care whatever it takes. We don't want anyone to have the excuse, well, I don't have the Bible. We'll give you one. Uh, I would encourage you to find short passages of Scripture when you're going to read. That's why our life steps, I say start with the life steps. They're very short. Just two or three little verses. Don't have a big chunk that you go, oh, my gosh, that's just so much overwhelming. That's why we do the life steps that way. But if you're someone further advanced and you want to read more, I encourage you to find a little book. Start at the beginning and just very slowly work your way through the book. Instead of bouncing around all this, doing Russian roulette and Bible roulette and whatever happens, you know, just have a plan, kind of read through something until you can, you know, just short passages, short little, not heroic, something you can do. And then the question I'm asked sometimes, well, pastor, I've seen you do this. Do I have to have a journal? Do I have to have a journal to read my Bible? So let's take a little poll here. How many of you hate journaling? Raise your hand if you hate journaling. Raise them high. You're in church. God knows. See, look at this. Look at all the people who hate journaling. Here's what I say. If you hate journaling, you know what my answer to that is? Don't do it. <laughs> it's okay. You're not a biblical heathen if you don't journal. I don't think Jesus journaled. I don't think Isaiah probably did or Zacchaeus or any of those folks. They probably, they probably didn't go online and order some leather-bound journal and sat down every day by it. No. The book that matters is not the book that you write. It's the book that God wrote. Okay? If it helps, you do it. If it doesn't, don't do it. Don't let that be the block that keeps And here's the last thing I would say about this before I give you the next one. Don't make it work. Some of you just make it work. How many besides me had to take piano lessons when you were a kid? And you hated it. Anybody besides me? You took piano lessons, but you just hated taking piano lessons. You know why I hated taking piano lessons? I had to practice 30 minutes every single day, whether I wanted to or not. And my mother would put the 30-minute timer on, and instead of playing the piano, I was just watching the timer. I cannot wait. The goal was to get finished, right? Get the timer off. And if that's how you're approaching the Bible, you missed a point. Don't make it work. 
somehow in your own way, find a way that works where the Bible becomes interesting to you. You want to be in it, not just, i got to do it. Okay? Next word is observe. Scripture, then observe. Uh, be curious as you're opening the Bible. Uh, notice different stuff. Just kind of, wow, wow, what I haven't seen. Be looking for things you've not noticed before or how things came across. And I want to take away a myth. The myth is you've got to be a scholar to understand the Bible. That is not true. Now, you have to have a master's degree, a divinity degree, or some sort of educational degree where you can understand the Bible. That is not true. Every one of the ordained clergy on your staff have a master's of divinity degree. It's part of the expectation, so you have some sort of credibility of their training and background to talk about this in some measure of intelligence, okay, of some kind to teach at a different level. And there are some concepts in here that require some scholarly work. No question. Every line of work does, you know. Every important line of work requires some sort of scholarly work if you're going to excel in it. But for the most part, this book was designed for people, just people, who just want to grow and fall in love with Jesus. And there's nothing in there. There's, there's plenty of stuff in there that's going to help you grow, so don't buy, buy into that, to that concept. I would encourage you to read it slowly. Read it slow and maybe read it out loud. Read it. Did you know when the Bible, early, early days, ancient world, the only way people heard the Bible is if it was, they couldn't read it. They were illiterate, most of them. And it was written in languages they couldn't understand. Somebody had to read it out loud to them. And there's something powerful about reading that loud. When you read it out loud, it slows you down. That's the point. It slows you down where you makes you think about it in a different way. I would encourage that you read different things more than once. Instead of just reading past, you kind of sit there and stay in the same verse over and over and over again, such as I did that this past week in verse 14 of our reading today. It says, but as for you, Timothy, I'm in verse 14 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy, uh, continue in what you have learned. Continue, continue. So I'm reading that, and I read it over. Hey, continue in. I read that again. Continue in. Huh. Continue in what you have learned. Uh, because you know who you learned it from. Who did you learn it from? Who, who did Timothy learn it from? And I just stayed there for a minute. Who did, oh, ah, he learned it from his grandparents, from his grandmother. You go, when you read the other part of the scriptures, you learned that Timothy learned what he knew about the Bible from his grandmother. I thought, wow, 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 wow. I learned the Bible from my grandmother. I sat in her chair, and I remember my grandmother reading to me, John 3, 16. And telling me as a little boy, that rocking chair is still in my mom and dad's house. Some of you have seen it here. It made me think about my granddaughter Lennox. What am I doing to continue in to pass what my grandmother shared with me to pass on to her? And you see, I just kind of stayed there by thinking that way. It took me to a place and increased these thoughts in my head that I wanted to act on in my life. It made me think in that way. That's what the scripture does. And then I started thinking, wow, I am so glad we have people in this church who willingly give up their chair in worship and go down the hallway to teach our little ones that Jesus loves them through this book. Anybody besides me glad that we have servants who do that? Let me ask that question again. Is there anybody besides me that's glad that we have servants who teach our kids about Jesus? Yeah! Yeah! That's incredible! And you guys just stop and pray and celebrate about that. 
and that we're continuing. Sometimes that can mean, okay, continuing, continuing. That means, hey, just don't stick with it. Hey, Rick, when you get finished, you're not finished. Take what you read with you into the day. Take it with you. Just don't forget about it. Continue in while you've learned. Meditate upon it. Now, I say that word meditate, and some of you get the heebie-jeebies. Meditation. Om. Hocus pocus stuff. Like you have a have a degree, a degree to meditate. Let me tell you what meditation means. First of all, how many of you are great warriors? You excel at worrying. Come on. Am I, am I got some worries, some excel. Okay, okay. Let me, let me tell you what meditation is. Meditation is positive worrying. <laughs> what is worrying? You think about the same thing over and over and over and over and over. It just pulls you down and pulls you down and pulls you down. What is meditation? You think the same thing over and over and over again that lifts you up, that lifts you up, that lifts you up. That's God's Word that does that. You meditate, you reflect, you meditate, and it lifts, lifts, lifts. power in the Word of God. And I would encourage you, if you come across something that's hard, don't stop and go, man, I just can't understand you, sucker. I don't know what I'm going to do. Get on the phone, call a friend, and start going, looking online, reading all this stuff up. There's a place for, to do that. But when you're reading for in your quiet time for 10 or 15 minutes, you're looking for a thought or an idea that you can take with you in your day to elevate you for the day just to be a better person, just to be a better human being because you're living and acting like Jesus. There's a place to dig and ask the questions and have the doubts. That's an okay thing, thing to do. You can ask us, ask staff, get you a book, do some research. That's a very important. But this is not what this is. This is for spiritual growth and transformation, not for knowledge. And it's a totally different thing. And the last thing I would say on this area right here is that I always read my Bible with a pen in my hand. Always I have a pen in my hand. I may not have a journal. Sometimes I have a journal, sometimes I don't, but I always have a pen in my hand because I'm making notes and I'm writing and I'm having little prayers in the margin, and this book becomes very personal for me. This book becomes my life. And I can make one little note and come back to it two years later, and all of a sudden, poof, it unloads, unloads a whole lot of stuff that I was thinking and learning some two years ago. So I would just encourage you to do that. So Scripture, observe, letter A is application. Application. The purpose of books in the ancient world was not about knowledge. The purpose of ancient books in the, in the ancient world, including this book, was to produce excellent persons. I want to repeat that. The purpose is not knowledge. It's to produce excellent persons. Look what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, verse 14, for you continue, continue, Timothy, continue in what you've learned. Uh, the Holy Scriptures, been breathed into, God's made them come to life. They'll make you wise, wise for salvation, wise to have faith in Jesus. It's going to do that for you, Timothy, and it's going to be used to rebuke you, to correct you, to train you. Verse 17, so that you, Timothy, the servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped, not kind of equipped, but thoroughly equipped. Where's he equipped? In the mind. See, your mind is where you live out of. You live out of your mind, out of your thoughts, out of your perceptions, the way you see things. 
What you see determines what you feel. Because what you believe about something, you're being thoroughly equipped in the mind, Timothy. Not a little bit equipped. Not so you can pass the, the get an A on the Bible quiz. Not so you can impress your friends that you can quote scripture. So you're thoroughly equipped for what? For every good work. Not for a good work, but for every, all, for your whole life, to the application of your life. So that every thought, every idea, every image, every thought, feeling, every emotion that comes through your brain comes out of your life that you honor God and bless people in everything that you do. So many people think this book is about having a bunch of knowledge. Jesus didn't teach to give people knowledge. He taught to change lives. Knowledge does not mean you're spiritually mature. We all know of people who know the Bible ten times better than everybody else, but they're not ten times more loving. And may I suggest the measure of spiritual maturity is not how well you can quote this book, but how will you love people, period. James, the brother of Jesus, puts it this way when he's talking about this little book. James 1, verse 22, he said, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Just do what it says. <laughs> Duh. Do what it says. So, so someone tell me, if someone asks you today what was the message about, I will what? And if they go, well, duh, everybody knows that. I mean, what kind of a basic message is that? And you can go, well, yeah, but, but also do what it says. <laughs> That's bonus material. Just do what it says. AA says it this way. This is the way alcohol nominals, they say it. Hey, just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. You know, you and I have to make about 35,000 decisions today, the mind. The mind just always cranking all these decisions. And sometimes you can be overwhelmed by decisions, right? Are you ever just overwhelmed? <coughs> when you study Jesus, when he got connected in somebody's life, I want you to notice what he says. Just do the next right thing. To the person who was healed, he said, hey, just pick up your mat. Just start walking. That's all. Just pick up your mat and start walking. To the paralytic, to the leper, he said, just go tell the priest. Go tell the priest. Jairus' daughter, raised from the dead, hey, just give her something to eat. Not go change the world. Not go write a mission statement. Not go do some big heroic thing. Hey, just do the next right thing. So you're reading this book. You close it. You go to work. Just do the next right thing. Send somebody a note. Say hello to somebody when you walk in the office. Be kind. Smile. 
Forgive. Serve someone. Go get them a cup of coffee. If you read this book, I promise you, and you read it, it's just, it's just going to inspire you to do the next right thing. Laugh. Forgive. Go outside and say, Whoa, God, thank you. What a beautiful day. Send a prayer text. Give somebody a gift. Don't take yourself so seriously. Go look in the mirror instead of going, Ugh, I hate looking at myself. Hey, hey, man, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, you good looking thing, you. Sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? For some of you, that might be the next right thing. And if you do the wrong thing, anybody besides me ever done the wrong thing? You know what you do when you do the wrong thing? Because you've been in this book, you can say, my grace is sufficient. I'm sorry, Lord. I repent. Forgive me. And then what do you do? You do the next right thing. It's not Read the book. What? Do as if. Here's the last one. I'm watching the time. I'll be have you out here in five minutes. Don't be laughing at me. <laughs> I will. Last one is pray. Last one is pray. And I say it this way because this book right here, this is not a human book. No wonder you can't understand it. And it's not about understanding it. It's about being transformed by it. And you can't change yourselves. Only God can do that. So you read this book by inviting God to be with you while you read it. And you're listening for God to speak while you read it. And I pray even, especially toward the end, God, what do you want me to hear? What do I need to hear? Not what my wife need to hear, not for the sake of my, what do my kids need to hear, God? Why do you go tell somebody else, God, what do I need to hear for me, God, to get my life lined up where I'm surrendering? Can I say something about worry? Because some of you are worrying when you're reading the book and you're worrying. Worry is a default. You will never, uh, worry is your default reaction. you got to surrender worry. So you can meditate on the book. You gotta surrender. God, what, what do you want me to hear to elevate and lift me up so I'm not being pushed down by the world and everything? You know, you gotta pray and do that. But we're gonna talk about prayer next week, so I'm gonna stop right there. Now, this book right here, something happens when you read this book. The Ethiopian eunuch, the first African that we know of that came to accept Jesus was reading the book of Isaiah, and he said, ah, I believe. Augustine, one of our early church fathers, living a very confused and lonely life, and he felt like the, someone was saying, hey, you need to read the Gospels, and he read the Gospels. He said, I believe, Lord, I believe. There's a man named Jerwin who's written a little book that talks all about all these stories of how people's lives have been changed because they were just reading in this book and how they met Jesus. About this man named Antonio down in Brazil, uh, who had the, the book kind of rolled up on the beach in some pa pages, and 
he never had seen the Bible before, and he looked at it. He started to say, my gosh. He went and bought one, and he was convicted, and he gave his life to Christ. Uh, there was a man who was so angry down in Chile about God, just mad at God, and just mad about it. He didn't believe about God, and he wanted to burn every Bible, every book that he could, throw it in the fire to burn it, and it wouldn't burn. So he took it out, started reading the Sermon on the Mount. He got so convicted about the Word. He became distributing Bibles all over the hills of Chile. There was a thug in Sicily who jumped a guy and beat him up and left him for dead who was selling devotional books on the street. And this guy was just going to take them and burn them. But before he started to burn them, he started to read through them and he read the 23rd Psalm, a little booklet on the 23rd Psalm. And then he read about the Good Samaritan and the prodigal son, little booklets. He gets thrown in jail in the prison for for mugging the guy. When he gets out, he goes back to Sicily as a minister. And there was a child years ago, closer to home, who came to a little church then called St. Matthew's, to vacation Bible school. And when she went home at the age of 10, her mother scounded, kind of scolded her because she brought home a Bible and she was talking about Jesus. And she just thought the kid was going to daycare, right? Vacation Bible school is daycare for some parents. Daycare, daycare, daycare. But she comes home talking about Jesus with a Bible. You can't bring that Bible in this house, blah, 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 blah. Rips her to death. The mother wakes up in the middle of the night feeling bad. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I scolded my kid that way. She starts saying, you know, I've never read the Bible. So she goes to the kitchen counter, and there it is. And she goes, huh. She opens the Bible. And she starts to read it. Her name is Terry. And uh, she read it to the wee hours of the morning. And she gave her life to Christ right there on the floor of her own living room. Her husband is a drunk. And when he sees the Bible and hears what she's done, he starts beating her and pushing her and shoving her around again. He goes on a bender. You don't bring this hellacious, evil stuff into our house. We don't believe he's a high educated sort of guy. He gets thrown in jail for a drunk. His boss finds out about it. Says, hey, listen, dude. If you want to keep your job, you got to go, go to AA. You got to get. Are you, he said, I'm not going to any AA to hang out with those drunks at 6.30 in the morning. He said, not only are you going to hang out with those drunks at 6.30 in the morning, you're going early and you're going to serve them coffee. So he does. Then he reads his book. And he meets Jesus. Saved him from alcoholism. Saved his marriage. Saved his family. Because of a little 10 year old girl who brought home a book. When I read this thing, I don't ask God to do much. God, change the world, change me, blah, blah. You know what I just do? I say, God, here's me, here's Rick. All my sin, all my brokenness, all my insecurities, all my issues, all my fears, all my mess ups, all my stupid stuff, God. I just, and I just ask you, God, would you please replace it with you? all I do. That's all I ask for. Not for miracles. Just, just a look. Just day by will you do that, Lord? And it's amazing how that works. And it will work in your life too. But you got to be in it. And I will tell you, if you're in it, you can learn to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ.
you could have your mind guarded by the peace of Christ. You can have the mind of Christ and have your mind elevated to things above. You can. You can be, con you can be conformed by the renewing, you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And your heart can be governed by the spirit of life and peace instead of the spirit of fear. You can. You can be anxious about nothing and grateful for everything. You can love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You can be filled with joy because his joy is in you. But you got to be in the book. Let's pray. God, this morning I thank you for these two gifts. First of all, the mind. This incredible thing called the mind, God, the ability to think, to process thoughts and ideas and all that sort of stuff, God, to dream and to vision and to choose. Amazing, God. And forgive us, God, how we have neglected it, how we have abused this thing called the mind. Forgive us, God, how we've allowed it to drift into places it shouldn't go. Forgive us, God, for how we have fed it intentionally stuff that just pollutes it and distorts it. God, we can't. You can. We're going to let you transform us by the renewing of our mind with this thing called the Bible. We thank you for it. We thank you for your word. We realize, God, that we're not an accident, that you have a purpose for our life, that you love us, that you forgive us, that you're not done with us, God. And it's this book where we can meet Jesus. Oh God, may it be so. Help us to be people of the book so that others will know that we are disciples by the way we love one another. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you next week. Step three.